Good morning, Harvest Church, Community Church. My name is Matthew Cunningham. It's a joy to serve you this morning, and it's a joy to serve uh, Pastor Matt to give him a bit of a break this morning. Just very briefly about myself. Uh, I've known your pastor now for a few years, mostly through a pastor's lunch that we've attended together where we've shared struggles and victories and learned how to pray for one another. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Vanessa, for 16 years, and we have eight kids. You don't have to hit pause and rewind to get that right. We, I said it, we have eight kids. It's usually somewhat of a shocker to people, but they are the joy of our lives, and we've never looked back. I wish you could see them here this morning, but they're at home, and they're hopefully watching their father over this live stream, or else they're, they're in for some trouble. So this uh, summer, we're looking at a series through the book of Psalms, and the way that uh, Matt presented it last week, that I think was great, is that the main idea that we're looking at is we're looking at ancient answers to modern problems. Ancient answers to modern problems. And we're just going to be looking at a snapshot of the Psalms of Summer. Obviously, we can't look exhaustively at everything, and I can't uh, recapitulate all of Pastor Matt's sermon last week from Psalm 1, but I can say this. One of the main questions that he, he put before us, I think is quite helpful as we go through this series, is how can I be happy? And that's the question that many of us have. And as Matt put it, he said, joy is mission critical to us. But one thing you should know as we're going into the second sermon in this series is that your pastor Matt and his wife Amy have been a blessing to my wife and I when we walked through a recent trial. And of course, we all need friends and supporters in trials. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of the quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, Pain insists upon being attended to because God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pains. Pains are his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. (laughs) What a time to consider that concept and notion from C.S. Lewis, the Christian theologian and author. Because what if in the midst of the three P's of pandemics, protests, and politics, God actually is speaking most loudly to us about where to find our true joy and comfort. And I think our text this morning will make that evident to us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 16. And I think that our text this morning is going to show us how to find even purpose within the midst of our trials. And Psalm 16 is a, it's a bedrock text for me. All of Scripture is from God, most assuredly so. But there are just certain places, I know that you most likely have them, that just jump off the page. And Psalm 16 is one that jumps off the page for Vanessa and me. When I wake up discouraged or when I can't sleep at night, this is one of the places that my mind goes to for solace and refuge. Psalm 16 is like a radioactive isotope that gets at the cancer of my worry. It even says it in verse 7, as you'll see in a moment. 
in the night you instruct me. Psalm 16, verses 1 to 11. Preserve me, O God, for in you and I, I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrow of those who run after another God shall multiply their drink offerings of blood. I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and illuminate your word to us. And Father, we thank you that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Uh, so I'm going to break Baptist protocol this morning, and I'm going to give you two points instead of three. You thought I was going to say four instead of three. Two instead of three. Point one is going to be the weary saint, and point uh, point one is the weary saint. Point two is the satisfying God. Point one, the weary saint. Uh, notice again, if you look in verse one, how our text starts this morning. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Uh, the text immediately starts for us with the problem. You see it, don't you? The text starts with the implication that there is a need for a refuge. We know, of course, we don't need a refuge in the calm. We need a refuge in the storm. We don't need safe harbor when things are going well. We need safe harbor. We need safe haven. We need safe passage in the midst of storm and trial. Uh, the minnow found Gilligan's Island during the storm, right? Even verse 8, we'll say it if we were to skip down. It says, I shall not be shaken. There's a shaking going on here in the text. The text opens up for us with trial and problems, the need for refuge. And so let's just, let's just plug in right away, right here. Let's just, let's just press it into us right away. We are in the midst of a pandemic. We are in the midst of protests, and we are in the midst of a very volatile political season, and we need refuge. We need safe harbor. Well, let's press it even deeper. If we're honest with ourselves, we would acknowledge that this world is always a trial. The world we live in, as Christians, as people, as human beings, is always a trial. As Christians, we are always pilgrims. We are always awaiting and looking 
for our future destiny and hope. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience, but in our pains, it is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It has always been the case, if we were honest, but even more, we see it now. But we, we, we always live in a world of miscarriages. We've gone through that. We always live in a world of cancer diagnoses. We always live in a world of divorces. We always live in a world of lost jobs, lost income, fear for the future. We always live in a world of terrorist attacks and, and, and rumors of wars and so on. Always. But maybe now, maybe right now, August 2020, God is trying to show us something to refine us, to grow us, to mature us. The, the pandemic will likely end but the struggles of this world will not. So maybe right now God is shouting to us a megaphone. Everything in this world is passing away. Everything is dying. The law of thermodynamics, even the sun itself that gives light and heat to the earth will one day extinguish. So then what? If that's true, and it is, we need a refuge. If we want to consider an alternative view, maybe you're listening in and you're not a Christian, and what I'm saying may not make sense to you or you disagree with what I'm saying, but let's just consider maybe that you consider a worldview of evolutionary biology. Um, you still have to admit something. You still have to admit that everything is going to die and there is no hope for its survival. Everything that matters most deeply to you is going to die and there's nothing you can do about it. The best of children, the best of marriages, the best of lovers, and so on and so forth are going to die. But this isn't the message of this passage. And it's not the message of the Bible. My wife uh, loves to garden. And I was just remarking and, 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 and reflecting on the fact this week that as much time as she spends in gardening, and as beautiful as it is, her most beautiful flowers only last a few weeks. Her gladioluses last a few weeks. Her tulips last a few weeks. The cosmos a little bit more. The dahlias a little bit more. But everything eventually dies. Everything eventually dies. And the same is true for you. And so in the midst of trial and uncertainty, we need a refuge. And even more, we need something that cannot be shaken. Let me press it into you, Harvest Community Church, by way of application, to say it again. A mentor, uh, once, mentor once told me, don't ever waste a trial. What we're dealing with right now is, is hard to be sure, but don't waste a trial. In other words, find your true refuge. Find your safe haven. And how do we do that, you say? Verse 2, it should strike you that the writer of Psalm 16 speaks to himself. 
He says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. That's our first lesson. The impulse of the Christian is to run to God Himself and to find refuge in God Himself. It is always to seek refuge in God Himself. We must speak it into ourselves, talk it into ourselves, read it into ourselves, pray it into ourselves every single day. It's why Christian community is so important to us. It's why prayer is so important to us. It's why reading the Scriptures are so important to us. It's why coming to church on Sundays is so important to us. Because we have to constantly reprogram and remind ourselves and retrain ourselves to say, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Because God is the supreme and absolute good and joy for the Christian. He is our highest treasure, He's the pearl of greatest price. He's the treasure buried in this field that we sell everything to attain. And the secret to joy, the secret to joy in the midst of the trial is to realize that God himself is your highest treasure and joy. I have no good apart from you. But for a moment, I'm going to look at the bad news a little longer before I bring us to the good news. This is weary David, verse 4. Why is he weary? Why is David weary? Why is he uh, pressing to find refuge here? He says in verse 4, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Let's stop there. They ran after other gods. If, I don't know what your translation looks like, but mine is a small g. They ran after idols. They ran after idols. The sorrows of those who run after other gods, who run after idols, multiply. He's looking around him, and he's seeing people who turn to their idols and their pleasures. Sounds familiar, I think? The world we live in, the culture we live in, the gods of the ancient world were the gods of sex and fertility, of war and power, of harvest and weather, and so on and so forth. And they worked quite simply. If you wanted a good harvest for your crops, you gave the fertility gods the appropriate uh, and required sacrifice. If you wanted success in battle, you appeased the war gods. If you wanted money or power or health, you just turned to the appropriate and relevant gods. They would make an, a sacrifice in attempt to manipulate the gods of money, sex, and power. But again, to, to press into, because we, we, we see that in the culture that we live around, but let me press it into you, Christian, for a moment. Uh, verse 4, if you were to translate it quite literally from the Hebrew, you could translate it uh, pant for, like a, like a dog panting for water. It says run to in the ESV, but you could translate it quite literally in the Hebrew, pant for, like a dog panting for water on a hot day. And I, I don't want to let you off the hook this morning, and just say, yeah, 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 the problem is all the idle searching outside of us. It's, it, this is a cultural problem, but we, we're safe inside of our box here. So let me press it to you. What do you live for? What do you pant for? What do you long for? 
And I know, of course, that our, our, our answer is that we live for Jesus. And yes, please understand, even as I'm pressing you here, I don't doubt your sincerity, but I just want to press you for a moment to look into your own heart and ask, what really makes me tick? Where do I find my security or my satisfaction or my comfort or my control? Let me just expose myself here for a moment and help you understand what I mean by those terms. What do I pant for? What does Matthew Cunningham pant for? If I was totally honest with you, one thing I run after is for people to esteem me intellectually. I want people to think I'm smart. And if people think I'm smart, then, then I have some worth. For so goes the lie that I tell myself. Um, another thing is I want financial security. I pant for that. If I have money in the bank, then I have a sense of security and comfort. Now, to be sure, these, both of these examples aren't necessarily evil. It's good to think well about things. It's good to provide for your family. But when these things become ultimate things, they will destroy you. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes an idol. Panting after things above God himself will always, 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 always overpromise to you and underdeliver. Being the smartest guy in the room, or the richest guy in the room, or the best looking guy in the room, or the funniest guy in the room, or fill in the blank, will never do it. So I just exposed myself to I don't know how many people. My heart to you. Let me ask you, what are your idols? What do you run to? What do you pant after? What is your tongue hanging out for and has become an ultimate thing? Because, verse 4, the sorrows shall multiply. It's just going to get worse. Idols will always overpromise to you and underdeliver. This is the weary saint. This is the weary saint. My wife and I are watching uh, the series on Netflix, The Last Dance. I can't commend it to you because there is some foul language, but it is um, fascinating to see how Michael Jordan was never satisfied. It was never enough. The first championship, the second championship, the third championship, the fourth championship, the fifth championship, and the sixth was never enough. The sorrows, verse 4, simply multiplied. And in many ways, it destroyed him. Idols will always overpromise to us and under deliver. And I think right now in the midst of this pandemic, these protests, and this political season, we have an opportunity to deal with what we run to. To deal with it. It's going to shout louder to us right now than it would have a year ago. It's shouting to you right now. What are you grasping onto right now more firmly than you did a year ago? 
God is using this season to speak to us. And that's the first point I want to show us. And our second point, I want to give us hope. I want to give us hope. We want to look to the satisfying God. Verse 5 and 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You know, I think that we can, um, we, can be, uh, we can be Christians our whole lives and in our religious experience and maybe never ultimately get to this kind of place. Never be totally honest with ourselves where we can say, take everything. Take my kids, take my wife, take my husband, take my job, take my security, take everything. And yet, you are my chosen portion. You are my lot. Because if I have you, everything else is just icing on the cake. He is the satisfying God. He is the only love that you cannot lose. Even death itself can't take it from you. We just said a moment ago, everything's going to die. Even the best of marriages, even the best of relationships, even the best of children, the best of jobs, even the sun itself, the stars, everything's going to burn out. Everything. There's one thing. There's one thing that cannot be taken from you. The love of God that the Father sent the Son in the unity of the Spirit so that we could be brought into the life of the triune God. Nothing can take that from you. That's why the Psalms are so emotive in their language. Love the Lord your God, all you His saints. Delight yourself in the Lord, Psalm 37. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, Psalm 97. Be glad in the Lord, Psalm 32. Hope in God, Psalm 42. Give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 33. Love, awe, delight, rejoice, be glad, hope. These are words. The Psalms are full of trying to point us to the one thing that can only give us joy, the satisfying God. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. I have a beautiful inheritance. Even as the world around me is falling apart. Hmm. Speaks to a reality. It's an indicative. It's not, a, it's not even necessarily a command. It's saying the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. He holds my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What should this do to us? When we see it, when we see the all-satisfying God, the one who can only truly delight our souls, what should it do to us? Well, let me give you an example. (laughs) When you go to the Grand Canyon and you drive up to the rim and you look over the edge, it inspires this sense of awe within you. It inspires a sense of delight in you. When we consider the love of God, the fact that God is our our, our portion and our cup, the the one who holds our lot, it should give us a sense of delight and joy. 
a delight and joy that goes beyond the things of this world. You remember the parable that Jesus tells when he, in Matthew 13, 44, when he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered it up. Then from his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. This is a parable about how a converted person is brought into the kingdom. He, he discovers a, a treasure hidden in the field, and he sells everything that he has. That's what we're pressing into you this morning. If everything else is gone, but you have this, he says, in his joy. That, that has always struck me in Matthew 13, 44. That in his joy, he sells everything that he has, and he goes and binds, buys that field. The new birth, being a Christian, is all about holy affection. It's about affection for God. It's about delighting ourselves in God. And when we're in the midst of a pandemic and we're in the midst of protests and we're in the midst of politics, the love of God, the affection that we get from God burns away the dross of where we're putting our attention. In his joy. It's not a begrudging attitude. Matthew 13, 44. In his joy. Blaise Pascal was a uh, philosopher in the 19th century, and he said this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. Some find satisfaction by going to war. Some find satisfaction by avoiding it. It is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. If Pascal is right, and I think he is, the satisfying God comes to us so clearly in verses 7 through 11. And it culminates in 11. There is fullness of joy in his presence. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Your heart longs for joy. Your long, heart longs for satisfaction. And it will only find its true joy, satisfaction, comfort, security, and end in the love of God. Let me start to draw us to a close here. Later in the Psalms, we'll see this word pant return again. This word run after. Psalm 42, as a deer pants for the flowing stream, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. This is the mantra that we try to teach our kids. We have it in our house painted above the doorpost. It says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and exult in his name together. 
It is the longing of every heart. How can we say it, though? Should be the question. How can we say this? How can we say what we read? Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. How can we say that? I've, I've laid out for us that we seek joy and happiness and satisfaction in other places. Why would God accept us? Why would God still be our joy, our refuge, our strength? You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. How can we say that? Verse 10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Who's the Holy One? Who's the Holy One in verse 10 that's not going to see corruption? Well, I have the best commentary in the world to tell us, and it's the Apostle Peter. Because the Apostle Peter preaches on this text at Pentecost. This is the text, or one of the texts, that Peter uses at Pentecost, and he's just going to tell us. He's going to tell us who the Holy One is. Turn. It's worth looking at. Acts 2. I'm going to read 25 to, I think, 33 or so. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. So who's the Holy One? You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make uh, me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the, the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Uh, Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses. Therefore being Therefore, uh, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out on you that this yourselves you are seeing and hearing. He tells us. He tells us. Uh, David's still buried, right? David's still in the tomb, right? Jesus isn't. Jesus himself is resurrected. The true Holy One. The true Holy One lived the life that you didn't live and died the death that you should have died. But He rose from the dead. And you're the one that deserves corruption. You're the one who deserves to be condemned, but you won't if you are in Him. First John will tell us, and everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. This is offered to you. This joy, this satisfaction, this forgiveness of sins, 
not corrupting yourself is offered to you because Jesus Himself rose from the dead. Don't waste the pandemic. Don't waste the protests and the politics. Find your refuge in Him. Find your solace. Find your safe haven for your soul. It will never disappoint. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for love and grace that you've shown us in your son Jesus, and we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to us. We ask, God, that we would not waste this season when you're shouting to us, and that we'd find our greatest hope and refuge in you and you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.